0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: It's episode four of Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams. And this week, with Selection Sunday less than two weeks away, who better to have on than ESPN bracketologist Joe Lenardi? Duke has had two recent bad losses. Why do the metrics like them? All due respect you know, to Coach K, a Hall of Famer,
0: but he's one of the big-time run-it-up coaches. Uh, and and there's a mountain of data to prove that.
2: And with so much parity going on in men's college basketball this season, John and I take a look at which conference tournaments we are most looking forward to in the coming weeks.
1: We're in for potentially a first Big East quarterfinal of the day at high noon at the Garden between Seton Hall and St. John's. Now, that, that gives me chills.
2: Oh, God. The, the roof might blow off. There's, there's going to be nobody working in the tri-state area. And finally, John Fanta brings you his buzzer beater from Omaha, Nebraska, where he had quite an experience with a legend at an Omaha steakhouse.
1: Not only did he finish off the 24-ouncer... He picked it up with his bare hands and ate the remaining steak off the bones of that piece of porterhouse.
0: Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Full Court Press has the latest news and opinions from men's and women's college basketball. Our hosts are John Fanta, who calls games all around the country for Fox Sports and others, and Kim Adams, an analyst for Fox and ESPN, and a former D1 baller who never saw a three-point opportunity she didn't like. If you don't believe me, check her Twitter page. Take
1: it away, guys. There are a ton of bracketologists in the industry. There is one legend, and his name is Joe Lenardi, who joins the Full Court Press pod. This week with Adams and Fanta. And Joe, it's a pleasure to have you. You've been doing this for about 25 years. And to just look at how this has evolved. Bracket Matrix, the site, tracks nearly 200 would-be bracketologists uh, as of last year. And perhaps even more now this season. So safe to say it keeps evolving. Uh, Do you look at what the competition is doing at all to see if you're seeding a team too high or too low? I would be lying if I
0: said I didn't know it's out there, Uh, both competition and scorekeeping, if you will. Uh, I do my absolute best during the season not to look at it, uh, not because the, the other people doing it aren't worthy, in fact, Many of them I think are superior in terms of the analytics. I'm not really a numbers guy. Uh that surprises a lot of people, I suppose. Uh but but you know, I got through algebra two and pretty much stopped <laughs> and I uh and and, and and you can go back and look that up. But uh I have found the hard way that, that when when I'm paying attention to the noise outside of my little bubble, and maybe that's the wrong choice of words, but outside of my world, that's when I tend to to, to make errors. Uh, s- simply because it- it's very easy to pay attention to the loudest voice on TV or the most powerful argument in an article or some data point that someone puts on a website Uh, because generally you're looking at that in isolation and not looking at it across the whole field or in particular, the whole season. And, you know, I have a process. It's been reasonably successful for a pretty long time. And when I stay true to that process, which is based fundamentally on me doing what I think the committee will do, not me doing what Joe Lenardi would do as a as a basketball fan, then I'm
1: okay and all is right in the world of bracketology. Joe Lenardi, our guest, ESPN bracketologist. And Joe, I don't always like to ask a, a two-parter, but I feel like at this juncture, this one fits. How much in your mind with just a week away from most conference tournaments, some start this week, but how much of the field is locked in in terms of those those at-large teams? And how do you avoid making a drastic change in the next two weeks thinking about the entire body of work of a team? Great question.
0: Uh, and, and I probably will make a drastic change or two or three uh, based on the conference tournaments, uh, even though... All my anecdotal observation, as well as conversations with, you know, past and present committee members would suggest that, you know, it's just one slice of their pie, right? Teams are playing 30-plus games, close to 35, when we get into the ones that advance deep in their conference tournaments, and, uh, you know, that's kind of the noise that I'm talking about. Uh, And and I'm especially vulnerable to it, Uh, you know, because I'm sitting there like all of us watching all these games and all these tournaments. And I literally have an earpiece generally for whatever game is on our air that I might be cutting into. And I'm hearing all the on-site reporters and analysts saying this, that, and the other thing about Team X, Y, or Z. And generally those comments are based upon what's happening right in front of them. Understandably as mine would be if I were in that role. Uh, and it's really hard, you know, not to hit the delete key or the send key in those moments, but I'm human and I will. And, uh, you know, I'll miss my usual team or team and a half, uh, in, in a couple of weeks and, and, and kick myself in the, in the shin and uh, circle back and try and get them all next year.
2: Thank you, Joe. I, I can't imagine the pandemonium in your life at this time of year. Uh, you kind of went into it a little bit there and just how you were watching so many games at this time of year, but kind of what else goes on uh, for you during a typical day during this time um, how much time are you spending on crunching the numbers? Are coaches calling you left and right to kind of see where they stand? just what what's a typical day like for you right now?
0: Well, if I told you right now i'm 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 sitting in a recliner in front of a television that's not on uh in the same sweatpants I was wearing when I got up this morning and Love that. i haven't moved, <laughs> i haven't moved appreciably. Uh, that would be pretty simple because Monday is a number crunching day. Uh, you, you, you have the full week in the book. Uh, you know, I have my own evaluation. Those dreaded, uh, God forsaken wire service polls and media coaches polls come out on Monday. And, and, and even though they're not a factor in the process, analytically, they are a factor in the process of trying to anticipate what human beings will do. Uh, so you have to pay some attention to that. Uh, and, and then, you know, and this is the part of it that, that a lot of others don't probably get the opportunity to do, uh, for better or worse. But, but, you know, I feed a lot of information to the network. Uh, on a daily basis and sometimes even an hourly basis uh, at at this time of year. What what does that mean? Well, somebody somewhere, as we record this, is in a production truck for the Duke-North Carolina State game on ESPN tonight. And they're going to run a graphic about North Carolina State as a bubble team. Uh, And they're – Basing that information on, for better or worse, me and my sweatpants and my recliner, uh, and same with you know how badly did Duke hurt itself by losing to Virginia on Saturday night and dropping three of the last four. So a lot of the storylines, a lot of the, the 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 production elements, both for the live game and you know kind of the studio support of that game is coming from uh the 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 seed list that that we're updating i'm updating literally on a moment-to-moment basis as games end and and that's a part of you know my role that has changed dramatically over the last eight or ten years or so uh I'm not just providing information for me and those who are following me. I'm providing it you know in a blanket way so that our coverage as an ESPN group of networks and, and on air folks is is kind of singing from the same hymnal. Uh maybe the wrong hymnal sometimes, uh but but generally it's close enough to be credible. And, uh, you know, it's not, Kim, so much as watching games. I'd love to be able to just sit and leisurely say, wow, I haven't seen them play that zone before. Uh, but but what I'm really doing is tracking results and tracking what's what could happen in different scenarios as games end. So that when I have to always be able to answer the question in real time, where does that team stand? Uh, So my methods may be a little different from some of the other folks in bracketology. And and again, it's not because their methods are wrong. My objectives are different. Uh, I, I hope that makes some
1: sense. Joe Lenardi is our guest, ESPN Bracketologist. And, Joe, thinking about the one line right now, you've got Kansas, Baylor, San Diego State, and Gonzaga. Let's look at the Aztecs and the Zags. Fact or fiction, those two teams have to win their conference tournaments to stay on the one line?
0: I would say fiction to that. John, mainly because that's only if they're operating in a vacuum. Someone would also have to catch them. Uh, Particularly uh, in in Gonzaga's case, because I think they're a little more secure as a one than San Diego State uh, at this point. Yep. Uh, And and what a lot of people forget is (laughs) – maybe it's the wrong choice of words but the, the WCC tournament has has kind of been rigged for Gonzaga a bit uh over the years they the the one and two seeds in that league uh get a bye all the way to the semifinals so that means in 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 this year's WCC bracket the Zags uh if if the lower seeds hold will will face the four-seed Pacific, Uh, you know, not a lock win, but, I mean, they're going to win, and they haven't lost a game to a Pacific-type team in that tournament for over a decade. So, basically, they're in the championship game already against BYU or St. Mary's. So we're essentially saying they they have to pass one test to stay where they are. So I definitely fixed it in their case. Now San Diego State, which which has been nearly lapped for a one seed in each of the last two weekends, first actually losing for the first time uh at home against UNLV and then nearly losing this past Saturday at Nevada. And in the first case, Maryland was right behind them. And in this case, Dayton was so right behind them that they were in the back seat of the same car uh, before the Aztecs were able to turn that game around and come back and win. You know, they have to win three games, and they're potentially playing UNLV again on UNLV's home court. So uh it it, it might be fact in San Diego State's case,
1: uh, more than it, it, it certainly is fiction in Gonzaga's case. Well, let's go to the opposite end of the spectrum then. Let's go to the bubble watch here. And there's two teams that really pop in. There's several uh, with, as we do this recording, NC State playing Duke. Uh, they're in your first four out right now. But two teams at II Joe. Stanford, they're, they're in their Oregon swing this week with Oregon State and Oregon. And Rhode Island welcoming in Dayton. And, and for the Rams, Joe, that is such a big opportunity I understand that the Atlantic 10 does have others to a degree, but that is the opportunity in the A 10. How much do you feel like the Rams have to win that game against Dayton this week to have a case?
0: They pretty much have to win it now, given the way they stumbled last week. Uh, You know, they lost at home on Sunday to St. Louis, and for the most part, they weren't in the game. Now, St. Louis is pretty good. And they were probably the team in the league that gave Dayton the toughest time in the regular season. Um, losing twice, but once was in overtime. Uh, but, but, but you know, if, if you're just in the field, which Rhode Island had been, you can't lose home games to teams below you in your league. I mean, you can get away with that in the Big Ten. This year, you can't get away with that in the Atlantic Ten pretty much ever. Uh, I'm not saying that's fair. I'm just saying that's the way it is. Uh, so they did lose, and their win last week was as good as a loss. They won by a point at Fordham. Uh, and, and, and and I think, and no disrespect, I think it's possible that you and I and Kim <laughs> and Devin Dotson, Doka, Azabuki, <laughs> would have a chance against Fordham. Uh, as long as they never, you know, passed me the ball. So, like, that was like a loss and a half, and that's why Rhode Island went from seemingly pretty solidly in, certainly above the last four in, to now on the wrong side. So, so to, to change the conversation, it, it's
1: not good enough to beat UMass. So, there is a bad win. There is a win that can look yes. bad
0: Yes. I mean, it's less so than in the days of the RPI where merely playing the game was bad. Even if you won by
1: 800, Right, you would go backwards. Well, okay? it, Is that why it, uh, to another spectrum, is that why Duke's metrics are helped because their margin of victory in some cases, same with Arizona? Yes, I agree with that. I think Duke and, and, it's not like
0: they've adjusted to the net. Uh, all due respect, you know, to coach K a hall of famer, but he's one of the big time run it up coaches. Uh, and, and there's a mountain of data to prove that. Uh, I'm not saying he's doing it to run it up in an embarrassing way. I'm just saying his team's play to the end. And a lot of times, you know, they win by 40 when they could win by 20. Uh, and and while margin of victory is capped in net, offensive and defensive efficiency is not, might be a wrinkle in the formula that needs to be looked at uh, to the extent that we know about the formula, and we really don't, you know, because it's it's very important, you know, in the history of Western civilization to keep something secret. And, and I guess the NCAA thinks this is one of those things uh but but i get it they, they they don't want people like me reengineering it and then manipulating it as as was the case in the later years of the rpi i totally get it uh but to your point john yes that is why some teams metrics or at least a reason why some teams metrics don't quite match what common sense would, would seem to be telling you. And in fairness, that's the case with every metric out there. Like, if I have a secret, and it's not a secret because I've said it whenever asked, I've been aggregating multiple metrics for 20 years for the simple reason that it helps identify outliers and then helps me adjust up or down to what, a single column of numbers might be telling you about that outlier. Like you know, Stanford's got a net in the in the high 20s right now and yet according to most of us they're a bubble team, which is not what a number like that would seem to indicate. So so you have to try and make some adjustment. I mean, Purdue's been in the top 20 in all the key metrics forever. And I think they're a game or two above 500. So, you know, again, there's going to be an outlier in any system. And, you know, my job and a lot of people's job is is to try and account for that and
1: adjust accordingly. Joe, at this moment, you have UCLA in the field by virtue of their lead in the Pac-12 How deep do you think they've got to advance in the Pac-12 tournament to guarantee an at-large? I think if they beat USC
0: in the last regular season game and clinch what I think would be no worse than a share of the regular season Pac-12 title, I think they're going to get in. I don't see how you don't put them in at that point with the wins that they have. Now, I know that regular season titles don't carry the weight that they once did in in this whole process. But, like, at some point, winning has to matter. And winning something has to matter. Uh, that's why I've always been hugely in favor of some kind of minimum tournament eligibility, whether it be a 500 record in your league or a 500 record in your league games if you count conference tournament games, or or something that says these games matter. And if they play, you know, an 18-game Pac-12 schedule and win more games than anybody else in their league, and five or six other teams from that league are going to the tournament, like, we've... Kind of jump the shark if UCLA's not in.
1: Fascinating storyline in bracketology. Another being Providence, Joe. They're up to the nine line. Even a month ago, we could have never thought that, but they put together six quadrant one wins in February. Nobody else in college basketball had more than four. Uh, just how tectonic would you describe this movement of the Friars? It's been phenomenal. I'm not sure
0: they would have been a 9 seed in the NIT. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure the NIT stops at eight. So, you know, like we said earlier, it's a 30-plus game season, uh, which does give you a fair amount of time to recover. One of the reasons we almost never see something like this, at least from – one of the major conferences is to do this in the back end of the season means you're also winning a lot of road games, which in the big conferences is especially hard to do, right? Like, like I'm pretty sure that they haven't played the entire month of February at home. Uh, so, you know, they're winning at Villanova. Uh, they're winning. At Seton Hall. they're they're winning everywhere, uh, which I think kind of fundamentally answers the question of whether or not they're good enough.
1: You can follow them at ESPN Lenardi. Joe, you're you're getting normal rest right now. You're eating. You're, you've got water. I I was good last night. Saturday night, not so much. <laughs> uh,
0: so you know, but it's the last two weeks. You you can. You you can do anything for a short period of time,
1: Joe. Enjoy the dance and what leads up to it. We appreciate you coming on. You bet. Thanks you both. Thanks again to Joe Lenardi for coming on. Full Core Press. So let's jump right in, Miss Adams. There were plenty of developments this past weekend in college basketball. Some teams that I think showed us what they were made of in November and December, they fell off for a little bit, they weren't leading headlines, and now they've come back to showing us that maybe they could be in for a deep run in March. And if there's a year for that to happen, with the amount of parity we've seen in this sport, I think this is a year we could see a 5, 6, or 7 seed in the tournament end up making it to the final four and having a legitimate case for a national championship. And one of those teams that showed us something in the past week is Ohio State. This is a team that at one point had lost 6-7. They were all out of sorts. But I'll tell you what, Chris Holtman can coach. He's got this team on track. And they've won over Maryland and Michigan in the last week alone. What do you see out of the Buckeyes?
2: Well, John, this is a team that started off two and six in the big 10 and a lot of people had written them off. And something I read that I really liked a lot is Chris Holtman was coming for the haters. He said, I saw all of the tweets when we were two and six, I have them saved. So Chris Holtman, he wants all the smoke right now, but this is a team that, that since has won eight of their last 10 games. You mentioned the wins over ranked opponents over Maryland, over Michigan, in two of their last three games. And when you look back at those eight wins over their last 10 job, they are really defending at a high level. In those eight wins, they allowed just 60 points per game. And this is a team that, you know, we talk talk rotations sometimes. Sometimes teams have the depth at this time of year. They're going nine or ten deep. Well, for Ohio State in that win over Michigan, they only had eight scholarship players dressed and ready to go. Kyle Young has an ankle injury. They're hoping they'll get him back soon. But they they got that win with only seven active players who saw the court. And this is a team who's who's impressive in a couple of different facets for me. This is a team who can really shoot the three well. Second in the Big Ten with just about nine made threes per game. And this is a team that can really get to the free throw line, John. If you look back at their win over Maryland, they had 23 points from the free throw line so we said it I mean it's impressive that a team could have been two and six in the conference to be able to come back have some injuries have a player leave the team and to be rocking and rolling right now this is exactly the time you want to be peaking and Chris Holtman has his Buckeyes in a pretty good place right now in this Big Ten that continues to be absolutely wild
1: in the Big Ten we'll stay there Michigan State makes a statement against Maryland. And Kim, I don't know about you, but I will still, if, if you have to ride on a player in the big dance, how could you not pick Cassius Winston as one of your first five, six players in college basketball? And uh, oh, by the way, he's got Tom Izzo as his head coach.
2: Absolutely, John. I'm with you. As, as a former guard myself, I'm very high on guard play when it comes to March, especially when you have senior guard play. We, we've talked about some of the big-time senior guards around the country, Miles Powell, Marcus Howard, well, Cassius Winston, there's not too many others you'd want handling the reins for your team in March. And he's really been dialing it up to another level. He had 20 points in that win over Maryland. And let's not forget, they had just lost a really ugly lost two weekends ago at home to Maryland. So to be able to kind of have that short-term memory, put that on the back burner, they've since won three in a row, including over number 18 Iowa. Then obviously – the Maryland win in which they led wire to wire it was it was really was never even close but you have Cassius Winston and then you have Xavier Tillman who's been incredibly impressive down low at six eight how about his line against Maryland 14 points 12 rebounds and six assists so this is a team that you mentioned it you have Cassius Winston running the team you have the all-time legend and Tom Izzo and then you have a big piece down low I mean, this is a team, I remember you said it earlier, can you really ever count out Tom Izzo in March?
1: No, you can't. And for Sparty and for the Buckeyes, two Big Ten teams in this deep Big Ten, which could see 10 teams go to the NCAA tournament. It's a fascinating storyline here. Speaking of which, Rutgers, a huge game on Tuesday night against Maryland. I think they've got to win that game at the Rack or else they're going to be stuck having to win at Purdue at Mackey. That's so tough to do. Or then having a must-win Big Ten tournament game. The Scarlet Knights they need a net booster they need a win and that comes against Maryland on Tuesday night at the Rex. So those are some big 10 storylines. Let's turn the page.
2: Don't forget Wisconsin though, John. Just just uh, be on the True. lookout for Wisconsin. They have they've won 6 in a row right now. The Badgers have it rolling, so watch out for them at the Big 10 Tournament.
1: Interesting interesting segue to conference tournaments here. Uh the Big 10 tournament would be a candidate. Kim, what conference tournament are you most looking forward to? <laughs>
2: I hate to just keep it rolling here with the Big Ten, but I think it's it's just been so fascinating with how many teams are in the mix here and how many teams seem to be really coming together right now. I mean, Maryland is at the top of the conference and they have five conference losses. There has been no dominant team. Uh, right now there are one, two, three, five other teams with either six or seven Conference losses. So, and that doesn't even include Ohio State, who we just mentioned. Michigan is slipping a little bit. Rutgers, they've got some magic going. So, I'm I'm looking forward to that Big Ten tournament just because of how deep the conference has been, how how much they've beaten up on each other um, when it comes to the conference tournament, how much is experience going to play a role with a team like Michigan State in terms of their coaching, their point guard play, um, and, and who just has some magic going. So the Big Ten tournament is, is going to be wild. Um, obviously, I'll be watching a whole bunch of them, but that's one I'm going to have my eye on. How about well,
1: you? Madison Square Garden, you've got three teams that are projected right now on the four seed at worst or better and you have 70% of your conference going to the NCAA tournament, it's the Big East. And I say that thinking about Miles Powell, Marcus Howard, Sadiq Bey, Kamar Baldwin, Alpha Diallo. There are big-time stars. You've got nearly your entire league, You know, 70% of your league, just like the, the Big Tens projected to have 70% of their league in, in the NCAAs, but 7 out of 10... Kim, that means that the quarterfinals of the Big East tournament have the potential to have all but one team in the NCAA tournament field. It's it's absolute for a 10-team league. That's unbelievable, and that's what the Big East is looking like right now. Uh, the dynamic of Seton Hall and Villanova potentially meeting again—they've written some really incredible chapters here in the recent years, but you've got Creighton, who's been to two Big East championship games. You've got Ed Cooley, who is literally the Lazarus of college basketball this season, to quote the great Steve Lavin. And you know what? St. John's, they just beat Creighton on Sunday. They could crash the party. We're in for, potentially, a first Big East quarterfinal of the day at high noon at the Garden between Seton Hall and St. John's. Now that that oh gives God. me chills. The,
2: the roof might blow it, off. There's there's going to be nobody working in the tri-state area on that afternoon. I hope they uh, bosses better lower production levels for that day because everyone's going to be at MSG. Absolutely.
1: So that that's where I'm coming away saying that is really really going to be fun. I also think out of the mid-major, low-major type of conferences, you know, the Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference, the MAC, they're heading to Atlantic City. This year. And are yes, they, they are. I didn't yes, they are. And you know what? The winner of that conference tournament, you could have a better time gambling at a blackjack table and predicting the way a table goes <laughs> than you would with the MAC tournament. There are several St. Peter's, Ryder, um, Iona, you can't count out. Oh, the Gales, yeah. Doing. yeah the come Gales. on as a late. I mean, that is wide open.
2: Yeah. I mean I grew up I really grew up that was the probably the conference I grew up watching the most in person because my dad was refing in that conference and so many schools were right around me. Uh the, the Jaspers, Manhattan Jaspers, Draddy Gymnasium. I own a college, but yeah, I remember my dad has officiated a ton of those championship games and boy are they intense. The Players are heated. The fans are heated. So I like that. I like I like the Mac tournament shout out. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna have my eye out on that one. Atlantic City. That's fun.
1: I've hit you with a couple of assists here. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> get into the hot seat here. Get, lay lay a question on me here as as we continue our talk.
2: Ooh. Um. Let's go. Let's go a, a dark horse out of a out of a mid-major let's let's take Dayton out of the equation let's go mid-major Dayton's off the table who is a team that you think can get second weekend sweet 16 maybe even an elite eight run in this crazy season of parody that we've seen on the men's side
1: I am going with a little bit of arch madness out of the Missouri Valley, the 25 and 5 Northern Iowa Panthers. I really think UNI has what it takes to pull off an opening round win, perhaps even more. This team shoots the ball at a high percentage. Uh, they've got pretty good post play. I'm intrigued by Austin Fife, their redshirt sophomore forward. He had 18 rebounds over the weekend against Drake, and this team they just they can light it up from three. They rebound the basketball. Pretty well. This is a really interesting team that I think you do not want to see in your draw. A.J. Green in the backcourt, he started every game as a freshman, and that's only benefited him as a sophomore. So look out for UNI out of the Missouri Valley if they can win that conference tournament. This is a team that could crash the party. Really like Northern Iowa, and then if I get a second submission, it would be the Vermont catamounts uh, because of the player that Anthony lamb is.
2: Okay. You know, I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to play this game too. look out for the Colgate red Raiders. Okay. Okay. I (laughs) got, I got to show some love to my dad, big game, Bob's he played at Colgate and he has me in tune to their team. They are I think they're having like their best season in history. They had a great season last year. But Big Bob is, is convinced that the Red Raiders are the real deal. So that's another little little tiny school like Vermont. Let's see if these guys can make some noise, John.
1: That will be interesting. We are inching closer and closer, less than two weeks out from the big night. We'll have some special programming on Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams with Selection Sunday and whatnot. Let's turn to the women's game. A selection Monday, just around the corner. And... Right now, in ESPN's bracketology, eight Big Ten teams projected, seven SEC. From there, it's a bit of a, a, a bit of a hodgepodge. But the question now is, on the one line, we've seen Stanford lose recently. Oregon, Baylor, South Carolina, Maryland, were all the recent one seeds in the latest bracketology projection. Uh, Northwestern up to the two line now after what they've done in the Big Ten. What stands out to you right now in the women's game, Kim?
2: Well, yeah, that was a huge storyline over the weekend. Uh, Northwestern winning the Big Ten championship. No one saw that one coming. I spent a little time out there for grad school and, you know, they've always kind of just been in the middle of the pack. Um, so that was something that nobody saw coming. And I think an interesting storyline now you mentioned Stanford sliding a little bit they've dropped two two of their last three Um, so I think you still have three definitive teams who are number one seeds: South Carolina Baylor and Oregon and now we turn to well who's going to get that fourth number one seat some people might say UConn I'm not going to give it to UConn. I think they've they have 3 losses, but they've they've been blowouts against top teams. I'm going to give it to the Louisville Cardinals who first in the ACC wow. 27 27 and 3. They lost back-to-back games a couple weeks ago to Florida State, who's a tournament team, and they lost at Syracuse, who could be a tournament team as well. Since then, they've they've rolled. They had a win over NC State, who was ranked fourth at the time, and then they have just absolutely dominated to close out the season. So Louisville Cardinals, I think they are they are more than worthy of that fourth number one seed at twenty seven and three, two losses in conference, one to a top twenty five team, and and the ACC has been has been strong with NC State uh, some upsets closer towards the end of the year. So I think Louisville is more than deserving of that fourth number one, and their their season is over, so their record will stay with that with the ACC tournament beginning in Greensboro later this weekend. So I don't know if you have any other thoughts, if well, you think anyone else is worthy.
1: Here, here's my thought. The Pac-12 is best positioned to have multiple teams in the Elite Eight and potentially mm-hmm. could have two teams in the Final Four. I say that because think about the top 16 teams right now in bracketologies. You've got Oregon on the one line. You have Stanford on the two line. UCLA is on the three line. And then you go to the four and you've got Arizona and Oregon State. The Pac-12 is stacked with the elites That's been the theme all season long. They might only have six teams go to the NCAA tournament, but, Kim, they are so positioned to have multiple horses deep in the race.
2: They are, and it's similar to what we've seen on on the men's side in conferences like the Big Ten and the Big East, where it's it's just so deep. Even though teams have losses, is that better positioning them for success in March when you've been through the gauntlet?
1: The clock is running down.
2: Time to send the
0: fans home happy with a buzzer beater.
2: Well, we are, we are close to finding that out, John. But you and I spent some time together. Sometimes I, we travel so much, I honestly forget where we came from. But it just occurred to me that we were in Milwaukee together yesterday. We had a great game out at Marquette, the, the Golden Eagle women taking down DePaul on the final day of the Big East regular season. So we had a great game, a great atmosphere in Milwaukee. I trust that, did you end up making it back to New Jersey? Because last I saw you, we were going our separate ways at the airport, and your flight had been delayed for two hours.
1: I eventually made it back. Sat in the chilies, had a little chips and queso, <laughs> had a quesadilla. Oh.
2: And Milwaukee that. has chips and queso.
1: Yeah, but but uh, at, Atlanta. Atlanta Mexican doesn't. You you know what this week's buzzer beater is, Kim?
2: Yeah, I was just going to say I want I want you to now fully dive in. I want to hear your buzzer beater of the week. I know you were I think you were in Omaha as well, just owning the Midwest region this weekend, John. Let's let's hear some of your travel stories and and adventures. There
1: is one story. Went to dinner on Thursday night with the legend, the 42-year Villanova head coach, Harry Peretta, and the Creighton 18th-year head coach, Jim Flannery, uh, as well as Jim's wonderful SID, Glenn Sisk. We went to Spencer's in Omaha. I highly recommend. Harry Peretta sat down. Now, you know, he's out at Creighton, which didn't join the Big East until 2013. When is Harry going to be back In Omaha, This is his final year as the head coach of Villanova. He said maybe he'll go to a College World Series in retirement. He's retiring at the end of this year. But Harry, he sat down at the steakhouse, and he says to us, he goes, man, I'm in the mood for a porterhouse, but I don't know if I can eat that much. And I said to him, I go, Harry, when are you going to be back in Omaha? You've got to get a porterhouse. The porterhouse showed up. And you know what? When you've been coaching 42 years, you've gone to a Final Four uh, back before the NCAA, the AIAW, but you've gone to NCAA tournaments over 2020 win seasons. Harry Peretta ate the steak in Omaha, which you, you, I would suggest you do once once in your lifetime. Not only did he finish off the 24 ouncer, he picked it up with his bare hands and ate the remaining steak off the bones of that piece of porterhouse. I was so proud of him. No way. He ate a steak with his bare hands, which when you're Harry Predic, Kim, you can eat a steak with your bare hands.
2: That is good. I have actually, as many times as I've been to Omaha in the last few years, I've actually never had a steak there. I That's did a have crime. A steak. I know. I did have a steak in Milwaukee this weekend. I had a little, little petite filet, a little treat yourself moment, <laughs> uh, which was very good. I, I think you've you've ingrained in me that I should treat myself to nice steaks on the road. I don't know if this is a good habit or not.
1: I think it's a great habit. And you <laughs> know what? I've developed a new habit because of Harry Pereda. The next steak I eat with you, I might have to, uh, because it's March and this time of year, I, I might have to take after Coach Pereda, Bare hands, porterhouse, that's March Madness to me.
2: Well, we'll have another opportunity this weekend, John. We will be in Chicago, and last time we were there, we went to Fogo de Chow, Unlimited. <laughs> so I'm hoping we make a return, and we'll have plenty to talk about next week.
1: All right, K.A., another edition of the Full Core Press with Fanta and Adams in the books. Folks, less than two weeks away from Selection Sunday. Next week, we will open up the mailbag again. Get your questions with Championship Week here next week it's going to be a lot of fun thanks to joe Lenardi, the espn bracketologist for spending some time with us thanks also to our producer mike lieber as well as bruce bernstein for everything they do ben wolfen edits the show and we always appreciate his contributions and you can check out our other pure hoops media shows
2: well we have catch and shoot 2.0 with aaron berlin and otto strong that one drops wednesdays on Thursdays, Monica McNutt comes by. She's got buckets, boards, and blocks. On Fridays, it's the Peer Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. Then we got the Mike Wise show every Monday. And, of course, John and I always coming back for you on Tuesdays with Full Court Press with Fanta and Adam. So we've got a full lineup for you guys. Make sure you're checking them out, downloading them, sharing them rating them, reviewing them. And most of all, we hope you are enjoying them. So college hoops season in full swing. March Madness heating up. We will see you guys next week with another episode of Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams. Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.